Welcome to the latest episode of Wait, What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. I'm David Paro. This is a podcast where we take a sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, sometimes serious look at the business of sports. Let's get started. Before I hand it off to you, David, um, I'm going to throw you a little bit of curveball. I've got a trivia question to start you off with. So last week we had Steve Loletta, president of 2311 Racing. Uh, 23 coming from the co- uh, co-owner Michael Jordan, 11 coming from Denny Hamlin. Bubba Wallace drives his 23 car, not surprisingly. Why does Kurt Busch drive the 45 car? Why does Kurt Busch drive the 45 car? Well, he is a big Chicago Cubs fan, I know, and I'm trying to think of the number that that could be. Um, but I don't You're know. in the right vicinity, but you're uh, not in the right ballpark. <laughs> um, well, if they're from Vegas, so there's not a there's not a team there yet. Um, um say not is it an Atlanta player? No. No, when Michael Jordan came out of retirement, Wait, did he wear Halfway 45 the for the Sox? He wore number 45 no. for the for what? the Bulls when he came out of oh. retirement. Oh. I thought as a Chicago that, guy, you might no, get No, he that. did for like two games before he switched to another number. Didn't Doesn't he go matter. To... He wore 45 when he came back out of retirement. No, I can't believe you did that to me. I'm going to like <laughs> so get you sometime soon. That is that is embarrassing. I was like, okay, did he wear? No, he wore. I think he wore twenty. Did he wear twenty-three for the White Sox? I should know it. I'm a Cubs fan, not a White Sox fan. So I, you know, it's not like I followed or or the the Birmingham team he was playing for uh, in the organization. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a good trivia question. That's a really good trivia question, and I failed it miserably. Well, the nice thing was you gave us a bunch of dead air for other people to <laughs> yell at you as they were listening. <laughs> Uh, and come up with it on their own. <laughs> well, that is right, and that's kind of our goal in this show: is, <laughs> is to is to just talk, and then hope people are doing that when they're you know we can't hear them do it. Exactly, it's a good goal, and I think we've I, I think we've accomplished it greatly from everything I can tell. So, so what is on your mind this week? So, the world obviously is every bit as intense as it was last week, and you know there certainly are continue to be major stories that uh, shine a light on this intersection of geopolitics and, and sports. But I want to start off with something that I, that I feel is a feel-good story coming out of the, um, out of the sports world, and that's uh, with Major League Soccer uh, and the home launch of Charlotte FC, uh, who played and lost, mind you, to uh, the LA Galaxy uh, but did so in front of a crowd of just under 75,000 at Bank of America Stadium in downtown Charlotte um, uh, on uh, a Saturday night. And it was they had this great moment where the uh, the mic got cut off for the national anthem singer, but the entire crowd finished up the anthem. It seemed to be a great party. And so, you know, MLS has this history of coming into markets and more recently in, in Atlanta, and Atlanta has maintained a great, great fan base. Uh, we will have to see whether Charlotte can maintain this this great fan base. But it did seem like a coming together of the city, particularly 
you know, young people that do want to follow this sport and love this sport, as well as Panther, Panther season ticket holders that wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Uh, and certainly, um, you know, Nick Kelly and the, and the Tepper Sports Organization and all of Charlotte FC uh, and, and Tom Glick before that, you know, did a nice job getting, getting the town ready for this and, and bringing people out. So I'm excited for them, having spent a lot of time in that city. Uh, to see if they could maintain some uh, excitement around uh, around a sport that, while soccer is obviously played at a youth level and there is unbelievable college soccer coming out of the ACC in North Carolina, um, this is uh, uh, this is new and uh, we'll see if it continues. But uh, excited for MLS uh, and what uh, what they are what they are doing. Listen, they're still not uh, in the top tier of global uh, soccer leagues, but um, you know I think they're making some progress. Yeah. Um, selfishly, uh, I want to see Charlotte FC succeed. I was fortunate enough to lead the negotiations on behalf of my client. Quick shout outs to Stephen Chris of Campbell Snack Division. Um, did a deal on his behalf where they are an exclusive partner of FC and Jonathan Norman with, with the club, um, who was a, a fantastic person to deal with on the uh on the negotiations. So I was sorry. I couldn't get down to watch that match, but uh, yeah. And what it's going to come down to like any other club is success on the pitch. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, and listen, they've got the right people on the sporting side and the commercial side down there. So I, I don't doubt that they will be ultimately successful on the field of play. Yeah, they are, they are Owen two, And uh, so hopefully they'll notch that first win here fairly soon. Yeah, you know, listen, you, you look at clubs like Atlanta, which was really successful coming out of the gate, but that's really the the exception to the rule, right? When you're, especially when, you know, there's so much talent at other clubs, it's it's difficult to build a team from scratch. Um, so it's going to take some time and, you know, to, to borrow from the 76ers, you have to trust the process. Right. As we said, lots going on. What's uh, What's been weighing on you? Well, today is International Women's Day, so I want to uh, want to talk about a couple things that have been in the news. One is um, the NCAA recently announced that they are going to be um, putting more resources towards the women's basketball uh, tournament. Uh, you know, I, I was I I forgot this fact that up until this year, the women could not use the phrase "March Madness" when marketing and promoting their side of the, the tournament. And so the NCAA has changed direction on that. Um, the men's and women's teams that participate will get identif- identical gift bags. There'll be more sponsor activation around the women's tournament. Um, so, you know, file this under better late than never, but the NCAA showing, um, you know, showing more respect to the women's side of the game, which is is great to see. Um, we'll be having somebody, uh, a guest later on from the Naismith Awards, who will talk about um, what they do to ensure um, diversity and equity and inclusion in in, uh, in those awards. But um, just aside, before I turn it back to you, uh, I also saw a note that uh, there is a women's tackle football league that's launching this summer. Um, and, and the man behind the curtain, so to speak, is no, none other than Mike Ditka. So when I think about, I'm not sure about you, David, but when I think about female empowerment, uh, I think Mike Ditka. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, that is going to be a, I have every expectation that that will be a shit show in any way you define the term. Um, It will, it will. None of which are positive though. Probably, probably not. But again, I'm going to leave that up to the person to define what they mean by a shit show. But I think it has that, um, uh, people should have that expectation. And I anticipate that it will deliver against that. Um, You know, going back to the NCAA thing, it was just last year that there was that big revelation of the fitness centers at the hotels or, or in the city for final four, I guess it was, mm-hmm. um, that were just the, you know, the inequities of it. And so, you know, social media does a great job of helping, you know, lights shine on some of these, uh, some of these inequities. And, and that's nice to see that the NCAA is, uh, is, is moving around and agree. I think that, um, you know, with, awards like the Naismith award where they really do um, balance that out on both sides for coaches and for players uh, I do think is great. So we are making progress and it is great as a, as a two time, as a double girl dad um, you know, this is uh, it's nice to see some of these things happening. And then, and then talking about investment, you know, with the WNBA recently went through some, some round of fundraise and got huge amounts of investment in uh, which was a little bit shocking. Yeah. Uh, in in a good way, I I will say this um, because obviously one of the big stories right now that does lean into the geopolitical is this is this Brittany Griner story um, where she's been detained in Russia and she plays for a Russian team as a lot of WNBA players do in their off seasons to to make more money uh, and um, you know she is she is a star over there uh, and she was detained for uh, having a vape pen which apparently had a uh, hashish oil which is a is a which is comes from cannabis um and it's against the rules but i was i one of the things that struck me i guess was the lack of knowledge that we had until very recently on this and i know it's very sensitive stuff we know that the state department is now working on this um but but hearing so little from uh, the league that is her home league being the American league uh, here, the WNBA out of that. So I, you know, I, and I'm not sure what I expected or should have expected, uh, but it was, it was a discouraging story on a lot of fronts. And and certainly I hope that, uh, that things are taken care of and that she's okay. And um, she's not over there for five to 10 years, which I guess is the, is the potential for such a penalty. Yeah. I, I, we we only came to hear about it this past weekend, but apparently she was detained over three weeks ago, going back to before the invasion into Ukraine. I, when I first heard, I thought it was a retaliation for the American support of the Ukrainians, but apparently it predates that by several weeks. So it was kind of strange that we didn't hear about it. Um, you know, reading, you know, I, I do read other sections of, websites besides sports and um you know the 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 feeling is there's you know such bad relations between the u.s and russia right now it will be difficult in the immediate term to come to a diplomatic solution to this situation i hope she's she's being treated well and i i hope that she can get out quickly but my my sense is and i get my knowledge of this from jean lacare novels but um you know hopefully uh you know hopefully she's not used as a pawn in some sort of 
you know, diplomatic maneuvering between the two countries. But I, I fear that might be ultimately how this is resolved. Yeah. Well, everything's a negotiation point right now. Uh, obviously, you know, every piece of leverage that both sides have will will be utilized. And, you know, this was, you know, they were amassing these troops on the on the border and we were actually getting warned. I mean, we were we were getting warned that this was what their intent was, even why, while um, Ukraine was was saying, oh, no, don't overstate this. And I think it has played out. So who knows how long some of that stuff was set up. Yeah, And if there was any, I mean, listen, Brittany Griner is not the only person being detained over there. There are other people that the State Department has been trying to get out. Um, uh, she is an athlete, so we know about it in, in our world. Um, and she is a fairly high profile player. Um, I mean, she's 6'9". She, she's, she, you know, she doesn't, <laughs> she's not someone that you're going to miss. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, she is one of the WNBA's top players. Uh, superstar, obviously coming out of Baylor, has had a hugely successful career with the with the Mercury, um, and you know plays to to pull in more money. I, I I don't understand why as soon as this was starting to fester that that there wasn't some effort to get people out. But then again, we just heard about this. Who knows if there was? Yeah, and the other thing I would say, two things I I would say is. Um, Number one is let's not lose sight of the fact of why she goes over there. It's because she doesn't make the money that her, somebody of her talent should command. Um, and of that $75 million that's been invested in the WNBA, the commissioner has said that money is not going to go towards salaries. So that, that's one of the reasons that she, that she plays over there, right? Because otherwise you would think that the ability to rest and recover after, after a grueling season would, would be a preferable course of action. Now, there's a possibility that maybe she goes over to their play just for the love of the game, um, you know, and she doesn't need that additional money. Uh, the, the other thing I would say is, you know, had we heard about this earlier, you know, oftentimes it's public pressure, uh, both domestic and global, that can help bring an end to these types of situations. So the longer we knew about it, uh, maybe there could have been more pressure to bear before things got to the point where the Russians actually had invaded. But again, we'll never know the whole story. Yeah, there's so many moving parts in this in this whole saga. Um, you know, I uh, it obviously they have pretty strict rules for um, uh, for this type of uh, paraphernalia and this type of drug. Uh, clearly they're a lot looser in Russia on the uh, performance enhancing drugs for <laughs> Olympic medals. I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Had she, yeah I, had she, had she had a file with, uh, and some syringes with, uh, with performance enhancing drugs, she would have skated through security, no doubt. Yeah. We are, we, <laughs> you and you and I are going to get like a, like an envelope with polonium in it. Some, <laughs> at some point. <laughs> well, oh, well, you you know what I say? We're, we are a global phenomenon here on wait, what? We that's have, true. That's we true. We have listeners um, from all over the world. Yeah, that's true. I, we might have to be scared, though, if we see Russia on the board. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would be psyched. We, we have to do some outreach to uh, to Ukraine, I suppose. We do have some other, uh, you know, Eastern European. I, I do want to give board. this, you know, I do want to give out uh, another shout out, if you don't mind. Um, to a dear friend of mine, Dmitry Feld of USA Luge. Dmitry was born in Kiev, 
uh, emigrated to the United States as a young man with his family and has made a career in sliding sports in the United States as a coach and now as a marketing guy um, up in Lake Placid, as I said, with USA Luge. Dimitri went into his own pocket last week and bought 30 Ukrainian flags um, that the city of Lake Placid then hung on Main Street. Um, I just thought it was such a touching thing. And even more touching was people stepping up and, and donating to the cause. So Dimitri didn't have to go out of pocket. I was telling somebody the other day, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's people who love Dimitri Feld and there's people who haven't met Dimitri Feld yet. So um, I just thought it was a beautiful gesture on his part. Well, listen, I, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've seen you uh, post about this and, and obviously it was very touching and, and moving and it's awesome that Dimitri does what he does. I do feel like if you could possibly offer Dimitri an apology on my behalf for having to wait what you on the monobob thing, because <laughs> as, a, as, as someone in the sliding sports, he, he, he he probably wasn't happy about your co-host. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Dimitri will forgive forgive you. He'll give you a big hug when he sees you. Yeah. Um. So a couple other things. Uh. uh you know, it, it's hard to see what's going to really rise above. But there was another big story that came out yesterday that that has to do with su a subject that we will be talking about regularly, and that's and that's sports betting. Uh. In that we had a uh, we had an. A, a wide receiver from the Falcons, Calvin Ridley, that that got suspended for an entire season for betting on football, um, including on the Atlanta Falcons uh, via via an app, a mobile app. So it was kind of easy to trace. Um, so many things to to think about on this front, but uh, I wanted to I wanted to bring that up and and see where your head was at. Yeah. I I tweeted about this yesterday. I, I don't want to call it hypocritical because there's always been rules in sports that you as an athlete do not gamble. Right. And, and that's, that's well understood. I do think it's somewhat inconsistent though, that the teams and the leagues are making tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars from these betting companies. And here's a young man who, yes, he did bet, but he was on the non-football injury uh, uh, list. So he was not playing. He was not at team facilities and he bet $1,500. Um, I, I, I don't know if the punishment fits the crime in this, in this case, right. but, but what's to say that somebody else wouldn't have done it from inside the locker room with that kind of knowledge. So right. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that the uh, the NFL shouldn't have done it. What I, I do recall, though, it, it brought to mind when the NBA decided to um, partner with betting companies was that Commissioner Silver feels that his players make too much money um, to throw games. And I feel that's maybe not naive is not the right word, but I do believe that there is always a risk because you have human nature. Um, and uh, I, I know all the leagues are being very careful about that, watching for unusual betting behavior, um, you know, constantly counseling and talking to the players. Um, I, just, I just think that, um, you know, you said we're always going to talk about it, and I think there are going to be more situations like this. But perhaps this is the NFL's attempt to try to deter this type of behavior going forward with such a 
a strong punishment against Calvin Ridley. Yeah, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. It is a statement like it comes out it comes out strong because there is going there I mean we've talked about the numbers that are coming in on these handles state by state by state. So that the money is big. I, I agree with you that it's naive of of Commissioner uh, Silver to make that suggestion because you never know what other pressures are going on and who else is at play and who's who's forcing an issue on a on an individual player. I have been much more worried about the college game than I have been about the pro game um, and the potential influences there uh, as as betting starts taking off. But all the leagues are saying the right things in terms of data integrity and all that and how it's, you know, and, and when you can take bets. And, and those are the things we're going to dive in on the show over time. Uh, and, and we expect to have somebody from that industry uh, guesting with us here pretty soon. They definitely had to punish them. They had to, they had to do something. Does it fit given how much money that they're taking in and how much they're promoting and how much the fans are constantly seeing the messages? I saw a great tweet from, uh, uh, I don't know if you know who Michael Shore is, but of the office fame and parks and rec fame, great writer and, and producer of, of comedies, but he, but he tweets under the name. He's a huge sports fan under the name Ken tremendous. Uh, and he wrote, uh, there is nothing more important to the NFL than the integrity of the game. We'll be right back after these words from Caesars, FanDuel, DraftKings, the official betting partners of the NFL. I mean, and those things are constantly, just to your point about the hypocrisy, he he definitely knew he was wrong. And he's come out and said that was, you know, basically that was dumb. But being defensive in the fact that he only bet $1,500, this guy was a first-round pick, played at, played at Alabama. I mean, this guy was making money. Um, so I don't know if that means he does or doesn't have a gambling problem. If so, I think he just, you know, the, the, this is the argument against what Adam Silver said, you know, people may do it because it's fun. It's out there. It's in our face. It's just easy to do. So, um, listen, there's, there's, there's no doubt that as gambling and betting becomes easier, there will be more people who develop problems with betting. Um, and it is, you know, it, it, it is an addiction or there is a potential for addiction um, and you'll just have more people addicted. Now, I have no idea whether or not Calvin Ridley has a, has a betting problem. But, um, you know, when you see those when you see those ads that talk about, you know, the resources available, if you have, you know, if you have a gambling problem, um, you know, I, I I am a recovering alcoholic. I haven't had a drink in 30 years um, as as one of my friends says, I haven't quit. I'm just waiting for everybody else to catch up. But um, be, be that as it may, um, I, I knew that, uh, you know, I, I had to I had to see the problem before I, you know, took actions to to stop drinking. Um, and so my my long winded point, and hopefully I have one is all of these ads, while they they don't do any harm. I don't know how much good they do to people who have a gambling problem until they actually see for themselves that they have a gambling problem. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I was speaking some years ago with an uh, NBC executive uh, about, and it was right after the Supreme court ruling came up and he had, he was the first one that really said that, you know, we're, we're going to have no idea what the unintended consequences of some of these things are. I, I do like the, the, things that are being put in place to try to monitor this and make sure that mm-hmm. the data is secure uh, and, and it's, and it's getting out from official way. Of course, that's another an additional way to make money, 
But um, the frequency that we're getting hit with these messages and the, the, you know, the numbers that are starting to come in, it's just going to be, um, I, I, you know, we understand the, the money's there, it's legal, therefore the money will be extracted from, from partners that want to pay to play uh, and be involved in this. And it is, it does seem to be driving usage. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something that we can't not talk about on this show because these, these companies are driving a lot of interest. They're driving a lot of investment in the technology behind it. Uh, and of course, there are also sponsors in the game. So it really hits on so many different uh, pieces of this business that it's just it's just going to be a major uh, storyline. And this is absolutely that point where it's going to be the reminder to these players that it's it's off limits. Um, and we will see. I, I I do think if there's ever, I mean, we don't know what the story is behind the Brian Flores uh, situation with Stephen Ross and these other owners uh, that that some people have said have offered money to throw games or bait, not throw games, but to, to not win, to tank, to tank. To tank. And mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness, if, if, uh, uh, if those things are ever proven, it seems a lot more um, uh, impactful in a negative way to the integrity of a game than, uh, than this guy's per- bet. Again, still, you can't have it where there's any inkling uh, of anything, mostly to protect the, the betters lines as much as anything else. That's what's kind yeah. of funny. Yeah. I know you wanted to talk about a yeah. recent development in, in uh, baseball media rights before we bring on our guests. Yeah, it's, it, it's huge. We talked about this on one of our very early episodes, and it is something that I predicted would happen, and not that it was that big of a surprise. It happened a little differently than we thought, um, and that is Apple uh, will be streaming Friday. They'll get a Friday night doubleheader uh, of two Major League Baseball games, and that'll be this season whenever they start the season. So the fact that they got a, a deal, and it's not just a deal, it's the fact that it's with Apple and it's now it's a streaming deal in a unique way is very important to this industry. So now you have your Thursday night uh, NFL games on Amazon exclusively, not shared with anybody else. These Friday night games on Apple, which will stream on uh, uh, Apple Plus. Um, and the biggest part about this, this, these aren't simulcast. The RSNs won't have these games. Uh, there's no local blackout or anything like that. These are the games and, and, and Apple has them. We also have heard that there are some other talks still going on with another streaming package that Peacock's looking at very closely. Um, so, you know, even as this, uh, this labor stalemate continues with uh, baseball and the Players Association, um, they're, they're still cutting deals, which I guess you know, goes to uh, increase the value of these franchises a little further, huh? Yeah, I mean, this is day 97 of the lockout. Um, and the fact that companies the size of Apple are still willing to make deals shows at least long-term bullishness on the sport, right? Um, but as we record this today, there's another deadline in place for the players to uh, respond to the latest owner's offer. And if they do not come to agreement, by I don't know if it's close of business today or midnight tonight, there will be another series of games canceled. But um, you know, I think Apple. This is a beachhead, right? Um, they they are. I I would venture a guess this is not their last investment in live sports by any stretch of the imagination. Well, you know, I still have that three or four year window prediction about uh, about them buying. ESPN down the road. 
The other thing that Apple's, you know, is looking at is the is the Sunday ticket on on NFL, yes. which would be humongous. So a uh, couple of billion very, dollars. Very interesting. Yeah, very, at least very interesting media rights developments. All right. I think that's probably a good time to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back and uh, and have our guest segment. Stay with. It's time for our guest. It is our great pleasure to welcome our next guest. He joined the Atlanta Tip-Off Club 15 years ago and is now the executive director overseeing all of the Naismith Awards that uh, recognize and celebrate greatness in the sport of basketball on the high school and collegiate level. Um, Please welcome Eric Oberman, executive director of the Atlanta Tip-Off Club. Eric, thanks for joining us. Tim, David, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, we were talking earlier about Brittany Griner and uh, her situation in Russia. We neglected to mention the fact that she is a past Naismith Award winner for College Player of the Year. Um, but Eric, tell us a little bit about the history of the Naismith Awards and and, uh, and the Atlanta Tip-Off Club. Yeah, the Tip-Off Club is a 501c3, uh, obviously based here in Atlanta. It was formed by three gentlemen who loved the game of basketball and felt that it was being overshadowed by a, a football crazy town. Uh, so they formed the Tip-Off Club, and they, they really set out that first year to celebrate high school basketball in the region. And over several years, they started honoring Georgia college players and they started to grow and someone came up with the idea and thought, how do we take our brand national? So they, at that point decided, let's create a college player of the year award. And this is the honest to God truth. Uh, Dr. James Naismith's grand niece, a woman named Helen, Helen Naismith and her husband were on the board of directors. So that's convenient. Back in the day, before there were there was paperwork and legalities, they went around the room and said, well, what do you think if we named it after Dr. Naismith? What do you think? And what do you think? And she said, I think it's great. And that was the birth of the Naismith Trophy in 1969. Uh, the first winner was Lou Alcindor, uh, known today, obviously, as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or as my interns would say, they don't know who either of those guys are. Um, but that was the first award we gave out in 69. And then over the decades, we, uh, we created a women's college player of the year and then college coach, high school player, high school coach, uh, to the point where we actually have seven categories of Naismith Awards, both a men's game and a women's game recipient. So every year we give out a total of 14 Naismith Awards. So Erica, bef- before we go on to the next question that David has for you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit him up with another trivia question. Wait, you're fi- gonna you're gonna ask me or you're gonna ask Eric? No, Eric knows the answer. I'm gonna okay. ask you. He's Eric. He he nailed me at the opening of the show today on something, and it was a Chicago tide thing, and I I was all flummoxed and I didn't get the answer right. You're so, gonna you're gonna, he's gonna get gonna this do, one. He's gonna go. I mean, he's gonna try to make me go over two here. No, no, I think you're gonna get this one. Can you name one of the two players who's won the Naismith Men's College Player of the Year award more than once? How many were there? Two. Two. Two players. Um, each Bill... each of them won three times. Oh. One of them played in the ACC. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say I was gonna say Michael, but I, I don't no, think it was no. Michael. Um 
I mean, and he Duncan was a contemporary. I know Duncan won it, but he didn't win he, it three times. He was a contemporary of yours. We're around the same time in the ACC. David, um, if it helps you with a with a hint, this is back before being able to jump to the NBA or before guys even left early under the hardship rules. So, um, quite a few years back. Let's see, uh, Carolina Dukes, uh, David Thompson. No, he did win the award. We're gonna, uh, uh, Eric. This is the awkward silence. Well, I was gonna say to... Bill Walton would have been a good choice, and 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 it would no, also is... double as a correct choice. Okay, well, the, you threw me off with the whole ACC thing, and I got. To well, he see. was so one of I, them. So was, I said there were two. Oh, Ralph Sampson. Very good, Ralph Sampson. Yes, yes, yeah. Two. Ralph as a college player was so remarkable to watch what they were able to do because of his his ability. Although Wake did knock them off once, it was a very beautiful thing during during that great run. We're about to launch in. I mean, the the ACC tournament is 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 starting off in Brooklyn as we speak, um, and uh, Big East tournament at the Garden. Uh, very exciting times. I'm going to take in a few uh, a few rounds here over the next few days for sure. But but as we're approaching March Madness and all of this focus on college sports, can you give us a uh, give the listeners a look at when? announcements are going to come, you know, and, you know, how people will be able to follow it in the, uh, you know, the television announcements and the timing of everything related to these awards. Yeah, absolutely. This week, we're actually announcing the 10 semifinalists for the men's and women's college players of the year and college coaches of the year. We've already announced the semifinalist 10 for the Naismith defensive player of the year. We are one of the latest in terms of announcements of all the awards. We really feel like our voters need as much uh time you know to to watch the games and get a sample size so i'm not a big fan of putting out a mid-season team early january our mid-season team is actually mid february and so when we get into march it feels like rapid fire um but we are getting down this week to 10 semi-finalists and then in a couple of weeks we'll announce the four finalists and at that point, it gets really fun because fans have a, a, an opportunity to participate. So we've been doing a fan vote started 15 years ago when AT&T was, was one of our partners and fans could vote on their cell phones. And then they went away and the fan vote went away for a couple of years and then we brought it back. And so fans can go to our Twitter Twitter page at Naismith Trophy or to uh to our, our website, naismithfanvote.com, and they can cast the ballot for who they'd like to see win the men's and women's player of the year and the men's and women's coach of the year. So it feels it feels great from a fan perspective that they actually have a say in who's going to win these awards. Do you roll out the awards or are they are they all announced at the same time, the finals, the final, final winners? We have migrated towards having one day where we announce all the men and one day where we announce all the women. And we're really excited this year that we're going to have a, a presence at the Women's Final Four in Minneapolis. We're going to have a press conference up there so we can announce those three major awards. And then for years, we've done a, uh, an awards brunch on Sunday morning at the Men's Final Four where we announce those three uh, national awards. And speak, you you mentioned. I'm sorry, David. Please. Yeah, I was just gonna. I, I was just gonna um, add because now I'm curious because you know I'm thinking about how I might you know lobby people that are that are you know in the voting world here. But um, 
when you've got it down to the final four, if you will, um, it's a it's a whole new start based on those from a voting standpoint for those. Right. Yeah. OK, great. Wow. Yeah, we have a national voting academy that's comprised of media, former winners, conference commissioners, et cetera, several hundred that vote on the men's and the women's. And they'll be given, they'll be sent an email with a link and there's 10 names and they vote four of those. And then we announce the four finalists. And then we reset a few days later and go through the same process to, to get it down to the winner. And then as I mentioned, the fan vote does then come into play on that second round. Right. And being a member of the voting academy, it gives me the perfect excuse to watch a lot of college basketball. So thank you for that, Eric. So you mentioned AT&T, and that's how we met when I was at AT&T, and we were a proud sponsor of, of the awards. Um, tell us a little bit about the role that sponsors play in general in elevating the awards. You've got a great roster of, of uh, sponsors right now, not the least of which is Jersey Mike's, the title sponsor of the Men's and Women's Player of the Year Awards. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't say this to correct you, Tim. I, I I say it because we believe strongly. We don't call we don't call them sponsors. I feel that that's very transactional. I'm not a big fan of even though we're a nonprofit and and obviously we need funding to to activate, but I'm not a big fan of just going out and finding a company to write a check. We truly believe that they're partners, and to me the differentiating point is we build our activation together. It's, you know, using the analogy, if a head coach got hired and he brought in someone as a defensive coordinator, he's not going to say to him, here, run this scheme. From our standpoint, it's let's sit down and build out the playbook together. What makes sense? What works? And so with AT&T, and to your point, the activations then feel more organic. Like what better way than with a, a, cell, with a, a, a communications company like AT&T with cell phones? to be able to text your vote. It feels very natural, it feels very organic. And so over the years, we've had Citizen Watch as a, as a title sponsor. We currently have Werner Ladder. They're the title sponsor of our College Coach of the Year. And then Jersey Mike sponsors both our College Player of the Year and the entire high school category of player and coach. And so they're, they're vastly different industries. They're vastly different companies. But we look at their, their brand attributes, we look at what's important to them, and we try to build programming that not only elevates the Naismith, but it, it activates in a way that gets their companies excited. So take Jersey Mike's, for example. They're very, very big on getting their franchisees involved. When they look at sponsoring opportunities, they'll ask the question, where can we engage our franchisees? Um, is there a community engagement play? You know, things like that. Warner Ladder does a nice media buy every March. Uh, Citizen used to do a media buy. Jersey Mike's does a media buy. Are there opportunities to tag the Naismith Award? So there's not a one size fits all, Tim, but with each partner individually, we'll sit down and see what's important to them, what's important to us, and where can we kind of merge those together to put together a really fun and exciting activation. Hey, in defense of Tim, he's, you know, he's just been hanging out with Terry Lefton too much. So, and, uh, <laughs> and he, doesn't like, he doesn't like that term necessarily, but the Werner example is a great one. A lot of people know Werner for, for the, that ladder comes out when the nets are cut down 
and the, and the song plays uh, one shining moment and, and everybody sees that, but it's nice to see them expanding um, their involvement in different ways and coming on to different partnerships um, uh, to, to, you know, touch this great sport of college basketball in, in another way. You know, David, I think, and I know we all know this, but sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that this isn't like, you know, back in Tim's days of AT&T when companies just had gigantic budgets and they could pay to put their name on whatever the property was. Over the years, there's been more questions of well, what are we getting for this? And so you have to think creatively. You have to think strategically. You're not going to get companies that just say, yeah, we want to be aligned with college basketball. Here's a check. They're going to say, we'll invest in you, but you're going to have to promote our brand as much as we're going to help promote the Naismith property. And if done right, it makes it much easier when the contract's up to do an extension because they feel vested in it. They don't just feel like, you know, we're the flavor of the month sponsoring your award. And when we go, somebody new will come in. They genuinely feel really vested in the growth of the property. Well, we're kind of coming along with that. I mean, we, we, we're coming out of COVID. We've had this bizarre last couple seasons of everything. And things are feeling a little bit more normal. Um, you know, and, and sponsors had to take a look at, you know, are there going to be games and how are we coming back on? Obviously there was a lot of creativity, I think, in terms of virtual activations and doing things different than be, being just on site. But now we have, we're, we're launching into tournament season and then, and then the NCAA tournaments. Um, what has, what has made this season special for you as it relates to the awards, as it relates to sponsors, or just as it relates to being a college basketball fan? You hit the nail on the head. It feels normal again. And those of us who work in sports or really any industry, you kind of, you're guilty of taking things for granted. And we didn't really realize that in the sports world until the last, until two years ago when we were told almost two years to the day, there's no tournament, it's over. And then all last season, we had a sort of a season when there weren't stoppages and there were a hundred people in the stands. The fact that it's back to normal and the buildings are packed and the fans are passionate, I don't think we'll ever take that for granted. And it's just so exciting for the, for the game, especially basketball, where you have these intimate arenas where there are 12, 15, 18,000 people and they're right on top of the court. You really notice it when there's no fans there. So that to me has been the most exciting. You know, look, last year we were able to activate. We pushed all of our uh, marketing to social media. We have a wonderful team and they did great work and we were able to promote the award and promote our partners and we did all that. But there's nothing like being at a game. And a few weeks ago, I went up to the Tennessee Kentucky game and I took the Naismith trophy. And we've done this over the years where we've had the game on display in the concourse at, at, at key rivalry games or big matchups. And there's just, there's nothing like it to be there with the trophy, with the fans in a sold out arena on national television and a rivalry game, uh, you can't replicate it. And it just feels so incredibly great to have that back. So what are you looking forward to for the rest of the season, right? Through the conference tournaments and the, and the, and the NCAA tournament. It, now's when the rubber meets the road in terms of our voting, you know, all along it's, well, this, this guy's playing well, or this coach, you know, she's having a, a great season or, you know, now is when it, one game could shift the voting. You know, we don't know who's going to win our awards and we're watching every game, every minute as our, our voters to see who's going to emerge. 
Uh, that's the business side of me. The fan side of me is there's there's no greater three weeks in sports ever. Um, I wish I could take off and, and go watch all the games like I used to before I got into this job. Now I can watch the games, but I'm still working. Um, but those first two days of the tournament are incredible. And, you know, we're, we're watching what our partners are doing, what other awards are doing, what other other basketball um advertisers are doing to see might there be a new opportunity down the road uh the nil has taken over this year like no one expected although maybe no one expected it because we still don't know what what you can and can't do but we're looking for ways to engage in that with student athletes particularly those who are finalists for our awards so although there's only a few weeks left in the season there's still a ton of work to do and a lot of fun activation coming our way and couldn't be more excited where we are today. Hey, can you follow up on that a little more? We wanted to talk to you about NIL and how sure. that's affecting you in terms of the communication with players and coaches and schools and that, because this is obviously something that we're all learning and trying to get a command of in that, that work in this business. So we'd love to see how it is affecting you and, and how, how you're feeling about what it can mean in terms of what you're able to do with these players moving forward. Yeah, what we'd like to do, we've talked with a couple of schools. Again, we don't know which players will be finalists, but of the four men and the four women, we would actually like to sign them to an NIL agreement and have them promote in social media the fact that they are finalists and that fans can vote for them. Again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about a forced partnership versus an organic one. And this feels, this makes sense. Their name, image, and likeness is because they're tremendous basketball players. And if they can use that to promote the award and to promote that themselves being up for this award, and then we can pay them for their, their time and, and effort, makes total sense. So I talked to a, a school yesterday who more than likely will have a finalist for the award, and I mentioned it to them. And you know they said, great, we'd love to hear more about it when the time comes. So it's a little bit of dip your toe in the water. We don't know how this will go. Uh, but we think it makes great sense. And uh, again, this year, I feel like is whatever we can do, it's a great off-season learning for us to revisit it over the summer and make it bigger and better next season. So what will you be doing to celebrate this year's uh, finalists and ultimately winners? Celebrate in terms of uh, bringing them to the final four. Yeah, yeah. Tell, winners. tell our listeners, you know, what what the finalists can expect, what their experience will be like. You mentioned hopefully signing them to NIL deals. How else will they be recognized and celebrated? Yeah, we're actually uh, also talking uh, to a company about NFTs to do uh, NFTs for each of the four finalists for the men and the women, which would be rolled up into the NIL deal. With the men, we invite all the finalists to be our guests at the final four. We have a whole weekend worth of activation from a trophy tour in downtown New Orleans on Friday to a private dinner with partners and, and players in their schools on Friday night. Saturday, this is now becoming an, an annual tradition for us, but we have renovated or in the process of renovating a gym at a YMCA in the suburbs of New Orleans. And that Saturday over the weekend of final four, we'll dedicate it. Uh, that's really important to us as a company to be able to give back to the community. And then Sunday morning is our big awards brunch where we, as I mentioned, we name all of our national winners. So it's a mixed bag, Tim. Uh, over the years, most of the finalists like going. It's sort of their last hurrah. You have to feel like 
even if they're not seniors, most, if not all of them that are finalists for this award are going to be going on to play professionally. So if their team isn't in the final four, I think they use this to kind of put a bow on the season and a bow on their careers. And obviously if they're playing in the final four, we won't have access to them, but you know, then we could still root them on and promote the fact that, you know, I think we've had eight former winners that have gone on to win the national title. So could this be, you know, number nine, you know, Jalen Brunson was the last one to do it back in 2018. So we, you know, we become cheerleaders for them. Uh, but it's just a special time to, to take the finalists and say, listen, we appreciate all you've done to grow the game and to grow the sport, not only this year, but throughout your careers and come be our guest for the weekend and really celebrate basketball. That's great. I'd like to take, um, which I'm hoping is okay, because I'm guessing you guys can't say who your favorites are or say who you think are going to win, right? You guys can't do that, right? That would be inappropriate, correct? But I can, right? Absolutely. Okay, so this is, we like to do predictions. We're generally always wrong about them. But I'm going to do my, before we ask you, you know, how you got your start in the business, I'm going to do my predictions. Okay. And we'll see how good they are. All right. Now, first of all, I do want to say, and I'll get this out of the way, I see that Forbes, I think, is on the watch list. Steve Forbes, a coach of Wake Forest, second-year coach, done remarkable things. We're very excited about him. Clearly, I think he should win it, but I'm not necessarily picking him. And Alondis Williams, or you know, the guy with the best nickname in basketball and man-man, I think should have been more strongly considered. Just named ACC Player of the Year. But I'll get that out of the way, and I'll move <laughs> on. Um, coach of the Year, Tommy Lloyd from Arizona. Longtime Gonzaga assistant. He's got Arizona obviously playing amazingly with a commanding lead in the Pac-12. Women's coach of the year. I'm a huge Dawn Staley fan. I think she deserves it whenever, you know, she has a positive record. So I think it's going to be tough between uh, uh, with the Stanford coach, uh, Tara Vanderveer, but I'm going Dawn Staley. Loved her as a player at UVA. Loved her when she coached Temple. And now with... uh, uh, and now at uh, South Carolina. Women's Player of the Year. I had a daughter go to University of Iowa. I'm a Hawkeyes fan. I'm saying Caitlin Clark on that. My normal drinking cup, Hawkeyes. Um, and Men's Player of the Year. Like I said, I think Man Man should be getting some serious consideration. Uh, I'm not going to go with the Ohio State guy. I know you're your alma mater, Eric. Uh, and I'm going with uh, Oscar Chibway. Um, from Kentucky. I think his numbers are great. His story is cool. He's got an amazing personality. He's not, his, his scoring and rebound numbers are just phenomenal. And uh, you know, so go, go with another big man, like, like you guys did last year, but I think it would be cool for a back, you know, men's player last year and in Luca Garza to then have a a women's player and in Caitlin Clark win this year. Those are all great uh, predictions. A couple of thoughts. Um, uh, Don Staley's the only woman ever to win the Naismith, both as a player and coach. She was our coach of the year a couple of years ago. She, she's awesome. She's, yeah, phenomenal. <laughs> and what Tommy Lloyd has done, I was I was trying to think the last time, if ever, we've had a Pac-12 or Pac-10 or Pac-8 coach win the coach of the year. Like Lute Olson? Montgomery at Stanford. Okay. Not Lute Olson? Lute won our outstanding contributor. He never won coach of the year. Wow. So that would be interesting for Tommy Lloyd. 
obviously Shibwe is a double double machine. I think I read he's on pace to average his his rebounds and points average for the year hasn't been done since 1979. Yeah. Um, and then Caitlin Clark is just incredible what she has done only as a sophomore. It's really scary how good her game is. I I, I love the fact that Kevin Durant likes to watch her play. Right. I mean that you got, you got to think that's cool. She's Another got some past game. winner. Yeah. So there, there's some great choices out there. Um, as I said at the outset, in the next three days, we'll be announcing our semifinalists for the other three awards. Today, we announced our 10 Women's Coach of the Year awards uh, semifinalists. So by the end of the week, you'll know if you're not on the list of 10, you're not going to, not going to advance any further. So this is That's it. Um, and a, a great week to really whittle down the list to a workable number. Yeah. Now, David, be honest. Did you see the announcement of the semifinalists for Women's Coach of the Year? Because you're two for two. No, Stanley I didn't. I saw. Still... I, 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 looked at the. I looked at the rankings, and I looked. I think at the the last list, maybe of. Uh, of I knew that they would be be in it. Um, I mean, you know, Staley's. How many times has Staley won the award? She won it last year, right? You just probably. Said she was that. coach of the year two years ago two years during ago. the COVID okay. season, and then yeah. has, player has, of the year twice. Has has uh Vanderveer won it she's won three times okay three different decades right. yeah. so I'm definitely going with Staley then so this will be her if Trish Vanderveer wins this will be her fourth award in the fourth decade she won it last year oh that's right that's right yeah yeah so. but her first one was in uh the 90s early when she first got out to Stanford and then had a pretty pretty decent gap and won it again in the early 2010s and then she won it again last year and she's got an amazing team so you really can't go wrong you know i think the voters have a hard time really deciding who's one over the other and you know this year david as you asked you know what what's exciting what's different or what's new it's the first time in a really long time that all four awards are up for grabs there's really not that clear cut you know you know, bet the mortgage on this person's going to win this award. And that makes it exciting. And that makes the tournament even more exciting. So um, that means there's more debate, but you got more opportunity to, to pick someone that no one else is selecting, which, which obviously yeah. makes it a lot of fun. Well, we're excited to see it roll out. And um, more importantly, to see how I did uh, in my case. <laughs> I think they're good ones. We'll see. Where All right. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, great picks. Eric, we like to add, uh, end uh, our guest segment the same way each week with asking you two questions. So if you could tell us two things. One, how did you get your, your start in the sports business? And then second, what one piece of advice would you have for somebody who's looking to break into it? Where did your career get started? Where did you start yeah, I got my start few a couple years out of college I worked for a, an integrated agency in Columbus Ohio they did advertising events PR media buys and I got to work on a just a small piece of a sports business it probably took three or four percent of of my my weekly hours but it was enough to get the juice hours I hope yeah <laughs> yeah Meaning the rest of what I had to do didn't excite me that much, but just this little project really got me excited about working in sports. And then I got a job at another agency doing more in sports. And before you know it, 
that turned into a job at Nike, which was all sports, and then Home Depot Corporate, where I worked on a number of their sports properties. So, you know, as I tell college kids and people looking to get in the business, th- there's no linear path. I-, I don't really know anybody that that set out to do this and followed the exact trail for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It's kind of like my golf game. It's way to the right, then way back to the left. It's a zigzag versus a straight line. And you have to have the 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 stomach to deal with rejection. You have to be able to deal with things aren't going your way. Uh, the advice I would give is in today's world, there's more jobs, but there's more competition. And so how are you going to stand out? You know, you've got to volunteer. You've got to build your own brand. You've got to build your network. You've got to stay in touch with people volunteer, make people get to know who you are. Um, Something I said earlier was uh, about building the playbook together. Always think about it when someone becomes a head coach and they have to build out their staff, who are they going to call? They're going to call someone that they knew from a previous job or a good friend who could recommend someone. You want to be on that short list. So volunteer to work at events, get to know people, stay in touch, Network as much as humanly possible. I don't particularly feel like this industry is so complicated that you you need to be a genius to work in it. You need to have a good work ethic. You need to love it. And you need to get to know people and stay in touch. And that will get you far. And, you know, people that don't do that, they give up. You know, they go do something else in life. Uh, The ones that stick with it can make a really nice career. Uh, but like any industry, nothing will be handed to you. You have to really work hard and, and stick with it and get some momentum. And once you know, your your, your career is off and running, and then it's whatever you want to make of it. Eric, we really appreciate that. It's great insight and uh, advice. And I think that we've asked all our guests that same question and wrestled with the same ones thinking back to our career paths. And you're so absolutely right that there is no there is no line. It's a bunch of you know, paths and circles and different tangents and so forth. But my goodness, I don't think I'd, uh, I'd trade it for the world. And, and it and it led us to wait, what yeah, that I get to do with my friend, Tim. So um, we really appreciate you joining us. Good luck as the as the uh, as the tournament start uh, and the voting comes in and we'll be looking forward to uh, to the announcements. Great, great stuff. Thank you, David and Tim. And thanks for inviting me on uh, to be a part of your show. You guys have done a great job in the first, you know, several episodes. And I wish you nothing but great success as you continue to grow your podcast. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Okay, guys. Here, thanks to uh, Eric Oberman, Executive Director of the Atlanta Tip-Off Club and the Naismith Awards for joining us today and providing some insights as we launch into March Madness. So now is the time, of course, of the show that we take a look ahead to see what's going to grab our attention this week. Tim. Another piece of trivia, not a question for you. I have heard that the weekend, the week before the first weekend of March Madness is the highest incidence of vasectomies in the United States. Um, I don't know if that's an urban legend or not, but I thought it was an interesting piece of truth. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't say that without having a solid theory on the, on the that, whole. That's why I caveated the hell out of it by yeah, saying it right. may be an urban legend. Um, 
obviously I'm going to be watching the conference tournaments this weekend. This is going to be a lot of fun switching back and forth. Um, one of the things also that I'm going to be watching is um, the fallout from a very unfortunate incident in Liga MX last weekend where uh, a fight broke out in the stands in a match between um, Keratara, forgive my uh, pronunciation, and Atlas, where 26 people were injured. Um, it harkens back to the days of the 90s where hooliganism ran rampant in, in, uh, in uh, English football. Um, there are already calls for the 26 uh, World, uh, 2026 World Cup matches scheduled to be held in Mexico to be held either in the U.S. and Canada. I think it's a little bit early to be calling for that, but it'll be interesting to see how league and team officials respond to that and if it was just a one-off or if it becomes uh, a more systemic part of Mexican football because, you know, uh, League MX is some of the best football in the world, uh, some of the best teams, some of the best players, some of the best rivalries. Um, and I would hate to think that this becomes uh, a part of – the experience at those matches. So I'll be watching the fallout from that as well. How about yourself? Yeah, it's, you know, as, as much joy and togetherness that sports can bring, there are these flashes of things like this that just are absolutely maddening. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got to get a handle on it and we've, we've got to do better as people. And, and obviously the sports properties and leagues need to do what they can to protect this and, and having, you know, hopefully not having these things spill over too regularly. Listen, it, to me, it's going to all be about college basketball. As much as I want to launch into the race, Bubba Wallace Netflix uh, documentary, uh, as well as uh, see that winning time show on the, the Lakers heyday on HBO Max, I think I'm going to be watching a lot of college basketball. I do want to give you a really killer shout out for for that very elaborate jinx that you set up on Coach K <laughs> in the last home game against the Tar Heels, <laughs> or you know, and that they came and just completely laid an egg and were upset by uh, a, a, a on the rise Carolina team. It appears. Um, so I just you know, it's very few people set up their jinxes as as well as you did. So uh, uh, you know, hat tip to you. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the uh, ACC tournament at Barclays Center. I think tomorrow and gonna take in the early session at the Garden for the Big East tournament on Thursday. And then look at you, look Rob, at you. Yeah, America's I'm, America's <laughs> guest. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I I I almost hate to admit it. I actually went on. I went on and just grabbed a single on StubHub just right before I started this show for tomorrow's session. Um, oh, so you'll be sitting with all your friends. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> well yeah. Um, better, better no, to be well, in the building well, and sitting listen, at home on a couch. If my, like if me. my, if my guy calls and says he has a spot up in the suite, you know where I'm going. I mean, come on. I mean, yes. it's, it's, I mean, we, for all, for all of you who work in college basketball, please hook up my co-host, David Power. Yeah, he no, I, yeah, he doesn't I got deserve my star- to be sitting listen, alone. I got, no, I, 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 I actually feel very proud about that, um, uh, support. But um, well, thanks for the invitation, by the way. No, this is this is going out to meet a few people that I knew were going to be out there. Oh, so okay. I just like I guess okay. I can do it. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to run out. Know. So rather than rather than <laughs> give the late su- the yeah. late minute requests to everybody that I normally would hit up, I'm I'm doing what people have to normally do. I understand so, you don't want to be seen in public with me. I get yeah, it. no, I come get come it. on out. Just go online. <laughs> no, no, no. I got I got I got other things to do. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, you going all the way across the Manhattan borough and into Brooklyn is, I know, a long way for you to come in from Jersey. I do one river. Yeah, all right, all right. 
Um, listen, so many subjects to co- that we covered today, but uh, we didn't even get to everything because there's always just too little time. So, But we're going to go ahead and wrap this show right now. Um, uh, another very fun episode uh, for us for, wait, what? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. We thank you all for listening. And if you like what you hear, please share it uh, with family and friends or for non-relatives and enemies. We don't really care. Just share it, like, or follow us on all your favorite platforms and be sure to let us know what you think. The best way to do that is on, is on Twitter. And we are on Twitter at DP and McGee. That's DP and McGee, not the Amber sand there and take care till next week. We'll talk soon. Thanks everybody. Thanks to you.